This is the Retirement Detective Podcast, where we dive into cases with Philip Mock, chartered financial analyst and certified financial planner professional, to solve common retirement and financial planning questions. Get insight into how to solve quandaries that appear on the path to and through retirement, ideas on how to approach savings and investing for retirement, and how to plan for retirement in a tax-efficient manner. Now, here's your host and lead retirement detective, Philip Mock. Hi, everyone. It's Philip Mock with the Retirement Detective Podcast. Welcome to today's episode. Today, we're going to talk about withdrawal rates in retirement. And there are some rules of thumb out there about what's a good percentage to withdraw from your portfolio in retirement. But today, we're going to specifically look at uh, some of the more extreme rules of thumb that exist And I'm not going to say whether or not I agree with them, but we are going to look at the elements of those to give you the tools to make your own decision about those in today's episode. One of the most common rules of thumb about withdrawing your spending money in retirement, basically, is the 4% rule. And the 4% rule has been around for several decades now. It is often misunderstood, but the easiest way to think of it is that um, if your stock portfolio earned 8% on average, your your overall portfolio earned 8% on average, and you had on average 4% inflation, that would leave 4% eligible for withdrawal. And they tested that over many different time periods to see, well, if you happen to retire and start withdrawing in a good year, like 2012 or 2013, when the market was up quite a bit, versus a year like 2008, uh, when it was down quite a bit, how would all of that shake out? And in this analysis done, like I said, several decades ago, they found that the 4% withdrawal rate was pretty safe. Now, safe for everyone? Absolutely not. And we're going to talk about why. But that was the analysis then. And so that's carried forward to today as one of the relatively common rules of thumb that you hear about what is a a safe and sustainable withdrawal rate. Recently, a very popular media personality in the finance arena, whom I will not name, came out and basically said that an 8% withdrawal rate would be safe. And in their math, they said, well, if you have only stock funds, those average closer to 12% per year. And if you leave 4% a set aside for inflation, that means you could withdraw 8% per year plus inflation. That's double the other rule of thumb of 4%. Now, if you were able to actually earn 12% per year on your portfolio, which in my opinion is not out of the realm of possibility at all, um, certainly in the upper ranges of normal, but there have been periods where that has, has been the case. Let's assume that your portfolio actually did make 12%. Um, it probably on its surface 
sounds pretty logical that if you think inflation might be 4%, um, eight would be a good return. But there are a couple of issues that I personally have with that math. And honestly, I have the same issues with the 4% rule. And I'll walk through those. But I just want to point out that I'm definitely not saying that 4% is right or wrong for you or 8% is right or wrong for you or any number in between. I don't know you and your situation. But I am going to talk about the way that I think about these things to equip you to think about these things. And hopefully you come up with a result that makes sense for you. When you look at a, a generalized statement like, let's make 12% per year in a portfolio, there's an assumption there that those returns are consistent and occur on average every year. And if you look at start to finish, point A to point B, there are definitely time periods over history where that return has existed. But in between point A and B, there are time periods where years where the returns are much higher and returns where there are where they are much lower. In 2012 and 2013, the market had really great years those years coming out of the the great financial crisis. I believe off the top of my head, I think the returns in the S&P 500 in 2013 exceeded 30% just that year. But keep in mind that that's on the heels of 2008, a calendar year where the S&P 500 was down approximately 40%. So it's not a steady 12%. And to be fair, the 2008-2009 bear market was the second worst on record, but they exist. We had one in 2020 that was very fast but sharp. We had one in 2000, 2001, and then we've had a smattering of just not necessarily recessions or bear markets, but just negative years in the market. And then we've had a selection of really great years too. The point is, is that returns are not level. And in statistics, when we analyze this, we call it the sequence of return risk. And I'm going to walk through that in an illustration. But before I do so, I would just like to describe the math. So sequence of return risk basically is the risk that you're withdrawing money from a portfolio in a, in a bad year, in a, in a time period where it would be disadvantageous to do so. And we're going to walk through an example of what that might look like in reality. We're going to assume you have a million dollars and we're going to look at returns for two years in two scenarios. In the first scenario, the year one returns will be 20% and the year two returns will be negative 10%. And in the second scenario, we're going to flip them and have a negative 10% return in the first year and then a 20% return in the next year. Now, on average, with an arithmetic average, a positive 20% and a negative 10% return have an average of 5% in an arithmetic average. So 5% is basically the midpoint between positive 20 and negative 10. So if we assume this 8% rate, uh, rate of withdrawal on a million dollars, that'd be $80,000 
in year one, and then in year two, we're going to add 4% inflation to that. So we're going to subtract $83,200 in our second year. So let's do the positive return and negative return in year two for our first scenario. So let's walk through this together. So this is our scenario one. So year one, we'll have a 20% return. Year two, we'll have a negative 10% return. And we're just going to assume that you withdraw your entire spending for the next year at the end of the year to make the math easy. So we start with a million dollars. We're going to grow it by 20%. So we have a million dollars and we're going to grow it to $1.2 million. Now in year one, we said we have $80,000 in expenses. So I'm going to subtract $80,000 and that leaves us with a value of $1.12 million. Now in year two, we're saying that the market and your portfolio have a negative 10% return. So we're going to apply that to this. And then we're going to subtract our year two spending, which we grew with inflation as $83,200. And we're left with a portfolio balance of $924,800 at the end of year two. Let's put a bookmark there and let's do our second scenario where the negative returns come first. So we're going to start with a million dollars and then we're going to have negative 10% returns. That gets us to $900,000. Now we need to withdraw $80,000 and now we're going to say the next year returns are 20%. So we're going to grow the account by 20%. That gets us to $984,000. And now for our year two expenses, we need to subtract $83,200. that gets us to an ending balance of $900,800. Couple of things here. So in our first scenario where the positive returns came first, we had an ending balance of $924,800 in year, or excuse me, in scenario two, where the negative returns came first, we had an ending balance of $900,800. So that's a difference of $24,000. This is sequence of return risk. When you make the withdrawal, based on what happened in the market that year, when you have negative returns, it's really hard for the portfolio to catch up if you're taking out the same amount every year, which is, as I understand it, what this media personality is suggesting. Before we added the element of withdrawals, we said that we had an average return of 5%, and we took out 8%, grew it by inflation, so based on the arithmetic math, we should be down about 6.32%. Um, so based on the arithmetic math, the portfolio, you know, we had on average 5% returns. And then in year one, we took out 8%. And in year two, we took out um, a little over 8% because of inflation. That means that we have $936,800 based on what our expectations are from this math. However, as I mentioned, because of the sequence of returns, even in the scenario where the positive year came first, we ended up with a value of 924800 And in the year where the 10% came first, a much lower return than that at $900,800. The point of this is that 
The timing of returns matters, and it matters a lot. We have twenty thousand, excuse me, twenty-four thousand dollars difference here in our two-year scenario on an original million dollars. That's a difference of almost two and a half percent, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that's only two years in. For some people, retirement is a thirty or forty-year period. This brings up the other important thing to point out. There's a real difference between arithmetic averages and geometric averages. And I'll walk through an example of that. If we have $500,000 and the market goes down by 20%, we're left with $400,000. To get back to $500,000, that portfolio would have to grow by 25%. The average return with an arithmetic average of down 20 and up 25 is 2.5%. So using this media person's math, you'd be a positive 2.5%. But we're back at our original $500,000. So your actual returns are zero. And that's also why this math that I just walked through in our example with a million dollars is so important. Now the answer is not that four is correct and eight is wrong. or It's not that at all. My point is that you cannot judge how much you should take out in retirement with a simple average rule of thumb. It's just too complex, too complicated. There are so many other things at play. The tax rates could suddenly change, and that would have a dramatic impact. Uh, Something that was deductible for you before maybe isn't deductible anymore. Something that was uh, an investment that was previously paying qualified dividends for one reason or another, maybe now is paying ordinary income dividends, and those are being taxed twice as much as they were before. And those are all things that would be outside of your control. My point is, I think you have to do more analysis about what is a reasonable withdrawal rate for you in retirement. You should use some software and there are options available online for free. There are some options available online that you could walk through uh, after paying for it. There, you know, you have to pay for them. And then Uh, a good financial planner would be able to walk through the analysis for you too. But the point is you need to look at all of your financial picture, your income sources, your expenses, factor in inflation, factor in taxes, look at your assets and how they're invested. Look at your liabilities and what those interest rates and terms are and put all of that together to make an assessment of what is a reasonable withdrawal rate for me in my retirement based on my situation. And I appreciate what this media person has done for the the broad community, um, has impacted thousands of lives positively, obviously is a very successful business person and has coached a lot of people to better financial pictures. But this most recent soundbite, I find concerning. And also as a, which is a whole other concept, but the, his concept of it, you should be in all stocks is uh, for a lot of people not appropriate based on their risk tolerance. So I think it all comes back to that you can read all the articles you want online, you can find all the rules of thumb, you can listen to a million podcasts like this one, and you're not going to find generalized answers that fit every situation because everyone's different. You need to sit down and figure out what makes sense for you and your situation and your family 
with your financial picture, your risk tolerance, and all of those things. Because if you don't consider things like sequence of return and the difference between arithmetic and geometric averages, you could find quite disappointing outcomes. There are some other professionals in my arena that have done some math and determined that uh, the 8% withdrawal rate, if it was initiated in certain years, like the early 2000s at the onset of the tech bubble, would have only created sustainable portfolio withdrawals for about 20 years. And for many people, retirement is a much longer time period than that. So that's all for today's episode. I hope you found this helpful. The point of all of this is to do the math for yourself. There's not a good rule of thumb that fits for everybody. I'm not a big fan of either the 4% rule of thumb or the 8% rule of thumb for that reason. It's not personalized advice. We'll see you next week. This recording strictly is for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Opinions expressed are as of the date of recording. Such opinions are subject to change. The views and opinions of guests on this program are not necessarily those of the Retirement Detective Podcast. The Retirement Detective Podcast is not affiliated with any guest or his or her business affiliates unless otherwise stated. The Retirement Detective Podcast does not guarantee the accuracy or the completeness of the data presented herein. The Retirement Detective Podcast shall not be responsible for any trading decisions, damages, or other losses resulting from or related to the information, data analysis, or opinions, or their use. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. All investments are subject to investment risk, including possible loss of principal. Individuals should seriously consider if an investment is suitable for them by referencing their own financial position, investment objectives, and risk profile before making any investment decisions. This podcast is not a solicitation to purchase or sell securities or a solicitation for advisory services. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, accounting, or other professional services, and nothing in this podcast should be relied upon as rendering legal, financial, accounting, or other professional services. Philip Mock is not a detective or law enforcement officer, and any reference to such is for entertainment purposes only.